evidence and answers. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the great hope of every believer in Christ, that one day Christ will come to take us home. Many believe that at any moment Christ will come for his church in an event known as the rapture. What is the rapture? Is it biblical teaching? When will the rapture occur? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, we're going to listen as Pat teaches on the rapture of the church. The entire message, along with other teachings on the end times, are available at evidenceandanswers.org. I'm sure you're going to find this show challenging and encouraging. So let's join Pat now as he presents his study titled, The Rapture Question. Good evening. Well, we got a great study for you tonight on a great topic. So as we begin, let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we study the rapture question, not only would our minds be enlightened, but our hearts would be encouraged by the message you give tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on December 1941, the Japanese invaded the Philippines and destroyed the United States military bases and swept right through the country, overtaking the country. And in the evening of March of 1942, General MacArthur and several of his men on four PT boats had to evacuate and escape the Philippines and go to Australia. And upon landing on the shores of South Australia, he uttered his famous words and his promise to the Filipino people. He said, I came out of Bataan and I shall return. Well, the Japanese went on to capture the Philippines and brutally ruled over the Filipinos for two years. And it's during that time the Filipinos courageously fought a guerrilla warfare against the Imperial Army. And also, they mapped out where key points of the Japanese military had stationed themselves, where the key military arsenals were. And they fought courageously. Thousands lost their lives fighting for their country, but they were inspired building their hope on MacArthur's promise, I shall return. After two years of fighting in the Pacific, MacArthur and the United States forces were able to break through the Imperial Japanese line and return once again to the shores of the Philippines. And he fulfilled his promise to the Filipinos, breaking through the line of the Imperial Army and upon landing on the shores of the Philippines. He wrote this letter to the Filipinos. He said, to the people of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil, soil consecrated in the blood of our two peoples. We have come dedicated and committed to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy control over your daily lives and of restoring upon a foundation of indestructible strength the liberties of your people. And it was those famous immortal words of General Douglas MacArthur that inspired the hope of the Filipino people in those dark days. Those famous words, I shall return. 
And our Lord Jesus Christ also gave us a promise in John 14, 6. Similar, John 14, verses 1 through 3, similar to the words of MacArthur. And these words inspire Christians throughout the ages the promise of Christ that he made to us in John 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. For every believer in Christ, that is the great hope that one day Christ shall return and come this time to take us home himself. The great hope of the Christian is the future resurrection and the return of Christ for his church. Now this event is known as the rapture of the church. This is the great hope of the church throughout the ages and the focus of our study tonight. Well first, what is the rapture? I just spoke with a man who's said he doesn't believe in such an event called the rapture or the taking away of the church. He said to me, he said, I searched the scriptures and I've never found this word rapture in the scriptures. So where in the world does this come from? Where does this idea come from? Well, where does it come from? Well, there's two passages. There's many passages that speak of the rapture or allude to it. But two of some of the clearest are 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. So let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verses 16 and 17, Paul writes this. The people were asking, what about those who died in Christ? What about them? You know, when Christ comes again, what is to happen? And then, what will happen to us? And Paul says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. The word caught up in the Greek, that's the Greek word harpazo. And harpazo in the Latin translation of the Bible is translated rapturo. That is where we get the word rapture from, from the Greek word harpazo. Now, harpazo, if you look it up in any Greek lexicon, it means to snatch away. Often it's to snatch away quickly by force. And it's used that way throughout the New Testament. Grab a concordance and look up this word harpazo and see how it's used throughout the New Testament. For example, I'm just going to give you three examples here. In Acts chapter 8, perhaps many of you know this story. Philip, the evangelist, is led out by the Holy Spirit to the desert outside of Jerusalem where there is an Ethiopian riding on a chariot. And this is a God-fearing 
God-worshipping man, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip is led by the Spirit to go talk to this man. So he goes running up beside his chariot, and he asks the Ethiopian eunuch, he says, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? And he said, well, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And so Philip explains the passage to the Ethiopian, and he accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he is baptized right there. And it says in verse 39 of chapter 8, when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. There's the word harpazo, it carried him away, it snatched him away. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is given a brief glimpse of heaven. And he writes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up, harpazo, to the third heaven. And then in Revelation chapter 12, there is a woman who represents Israel. She gives birth to a baby. This is the Messiah. And as the baby is being born, there is the dragon there who stood before the woman and wanted to devour and kill the child. And it said that she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where there was a place prepared by God in which she was nourished for 1260 days. Right? So before the dragon can seize the boy, it says the child was caught up to God, harpazo, snatched away. So one day, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the church will suddenly be snatched away, taken out of this world. And we will meet the Lord, it says, in the air. Not here upon the earth, but in the air. So there's going to be a grand reunion that will occur with all believers in Christ throughout the ages. The dead shall rise first. Okay? So the bodies of the dead shall be resurrected. Unite with their soul and spirit which is in heaven. Then we who are alive and remain shall be harpazo, caught up, taken away suddenly. And there in the air, in the heavens, we're going to have a grand reunion with the saints of all the ages and with Jesus Christ. The second passage is 1 Corinthians 15. Now, in this passage, the people are asking, well, what is the resurrection body? What does it look like? And this is the great passage where Paul talks about the resurrection body, and he gives a lengthy description of the resurrection body, the eternal glorified body that we will one day have in eternal glory. Not this body of decay that we have, but an imperishable, eternal, glorified body. Paul describes there in chapter 15. And then he writes here in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not all of us are going to meet death. But we shall be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. All right? We're going to be transformed. Okay? From this physical body of decay to our full glorified body. And for some, Paul says, you're not going to sleep. You're not going to die. And okay? some of you, that transformation will take place while you are alive. And 
He says, in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, it's going to be really quick when it happens. Our bodies will be transformed from this earthly body of decay to a glorified, eternal body. And it's going to happen that quick, in the twinkling of an eye. So we're going to have a great grand reunion with the saints of all the ages in our fully eternal and glorified body. Okay, so what grand reunion it's going to be. It makes me think of that movie, uh, The Titanic. Maybe you saw that movie? I slept through most of it, I think, but I remember the end. Because then I heard all this noise and then action started. But I think, was it the first two hours or something? It was like, you know, romance or something, you know? And fell asleep after about 30 minutes. But then when the action started, I woke up. No, no, I think it was a three-hour movie. It's just the last half hour was action, right? Or something. So two and a half of whatever, soap opera, and then just the last half hour was the real movie. Well, anyway, all you Titanic fans want to stone me now. <laughs> I remember at the end, you know, that elderly lady, probably she looked like she was in her 90s, uh, a survivor of the Titanic. She was Rose, you know, the heroine in that movie, and she's telling her story now as an older woman, I think in her 90s, telling her story of her experience on the Titanic, and then telling the story about her true love, DiCaprio. His name in that movie was what? Jack, I think, right? Jack, and, and telling us about Jack. And the last thing she remembers of Jack is Jack beaten and sore, turning blue, freezing in that water as they're holding on to that piece of wood that's floating. And finally, he dies. And the last picture she has of him is prying his hand off that board and looking at his cold, lifeless face as he sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Well, you remember how that movie ended. She goes to sleep on that ship, and I believe she dies. I don't think she was dreaming. I think she passed away. And the movie ends with a wonderful scene. She is once again this young woman, the beautiful rose in all her splendor and glory, dressed in a fine, elegant gown. And she is walking through the grand dining room, the grand room there of the Titanic. And dressed in her full splendor is the people of the Titanic. And she goes up that grand staircase, and there at the grand staircase, he turns around, and it's her first love, her true love in life, Jack. And he's not that lifeless, cold young man floating to the bottom of the sea. He is fully restored in his full splendor, standing there in a suit full of life, full of youth and vigor and glory and he turns and he smiles at her and they're reunited once again and it's a great way that that movie ends it's kind of interesting how even hollywood longs for heaven and a grand reunion in glory hmm? one of my favorite movies gladiator ah. you know when he dies right in that coliseum bruised and beaten he lays down and his life is beginning to leave him, right? And the last thing he remembers of his wife and child is what? They were burned and they're burned, scarred and beaten bodies hanging uh, on a tree. You know, that's the last thing he remembers of him. But finally, when he goes to sleep, 
we see him walking across that beautiful field, that farm of his, brushing his hand through the wheat, and there's his wife once again, the beautiful young woman he remembers, and his son comes running towards him, and what a great reunion they had at the end of that movie. Well, the good news for the Christian, that's not just fantasy. That's for real. You know, that's going to happen one day for each one of us. Whether we pass on and we go into the presence of the Lord, or the Lord returns and this reunion takes place, man, what a majestic and wonderful reunion it's going to be in our full glorified state, in a body that will never decay, that'll never suffer the effects of sin. We will be united with our loved ones. And should the rapture occur anytime soon, we will be transformed and united in the air, and a grand reunion will soon one day take place. Well, that's the rapture. That's what's going to happen. That's where it comes from. That's the great hope of every Christian. Now, when will the rapture occur? Well, here's the end times chart here. Now, the blue, we're in the church age right now. We've been in the church age for the last 2,012 years. The church age will come to an end, and then we will enter Revelation chapters 4 through 19, or 6 through 18 specifically. Seven years of tribulation, where God's wrath is unleashed upon the earth. All right, he will no longer restrain the forces of evil. He will allow evil to run loose, give man what he wants, a world without God. But at that same time as he allows evil to run loose, he will be judging the earth and the wrath of God, the trumpet judgments, the bowls, the scrolls, his judgment will be unleashed upon the earth for seven years. And we enter seven years of tribulation. At the end of the seven years, Christ returns with the heavenly host, that's us, and the angels, and he defeats the forces of evil and establish his millennial kingdom, the thousand-year rule of Christ here upon the earth. Revelation chapter 20. He rules and reigns in Jerusalem for 1,000 years. All right? Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit, and he's kept there in prison there for 1,000 years. After the 1,000 years, he's let loose one final time to deceive the nations. Many will follow Satan, and we'll have a final war there in Revelation 20. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. Then all the unsaved will be resurrected and stand before the great white throne and they'll be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, Revelation chapter 21, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. This present earth will be judged by fire and destroyed. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we enter into eternity. Now, the question is the rapture. When does the rapture occur Will the rapture take place before the tribulation? That's called the pre-trib rapture position. Will the rapture take place in the middle of the tribulation? Or so we weed out those Christians who aren't very serious about their faith. They, we weed them out. Or will it occur at the end of the tribulation? Will we go through the tribulation and then the rapture will occur and then we'll turn around and come right back down and engage in that battle with Christ and then enter into the millennium. Those are the three views of the rapture when it will occur. The pre-tribulation rapture, the mid-tribulation, and the post-tribulation rapture. 
the two most popular are the pre-tribulation position and the post-tribulation position. You know, I remember when I was 18 years old, I saw the movie on the end times called A Distant Thunder. How many of you remember that movie? Two. Two people. All right. The rest of you must be a lot younger. <laughs> well, I think it was made like in the 70s, right? And I was just a teenager when I watched this movie. I didn't see the first one, but I watched the second one. And, you know, it scared the daylights out of me. There's this woman in the tribulation, and the wrath of God is going, and, the, and people got the mark, and they're chasing her down, and these beasts coming out of everywhere, and the Antichrist, and all this. And, you know, and then at the end of number two, she's captured. Oh, she's captured by the one world government. I think her name was Patty. Patty. She's captured by this one world government, and they throw her in jail because she doesn't have the mark. And she hasn't accepted Christ yet. You know, but she knows she can't get the mark because then if she does, you know, she'll end up in hell forever. So she's sitting in jail and the guards are telling her, hey, just take the mark and you can go home. And then the Christians in jail are going, no, don't take the mark. Uh. Come near the end of the movie, you know, these Christians are, their name is being called one by one. And they go outside this door. And then there are some who scream, ah, and they come running back in the room and they take the mark, you know. And so the Christians are sitting there wondering, what's outside that room? What's outside that room, man? You know, trying to figure it out. Well, then they finally call her. Patty, you know, and so she goes and they uh, blindfold her and they take her outside to the church courtyard. And then she gets out to the church courtyard and then they take the blinders off and she looks up and she screams, ah, you know, the music comes on, dun, 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 dun. and she looks, she screams and it's a guillotine, you know, it's blood all over the guillotine, she's screaming, ah, that, that's how part two ends. And that freaked me out. And I was like, wow, oh man, this is what's going to happen? Uh. And so, you know, the preacher was, hey, if you haven't received Christ, and I was like, I raised my hand like three times. You know, he's like, yeah, I see you, I see you in the back. All right, I see you, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So I had to make sure, you know. Well, anyway, I went home that night, and then uh, I had a dream. found myself at Punchbowl Cemetery, here where the m memorial to the war veterans are. There was a guillotine, and I was being marched up the guillotine. And people were saying, hey, just take the mark. And I was like, what? Where am I? You know? And they're saying, hey, you're going to get your head chopped off. You don't take the mark. And I was like, oh, no, I can't take the mark. And they said, all right. And so they took me and they put me on the guillotine. And I looked over and it was my friend holding the rope. And my buddy from the baseball team. And I said, hey, what are you doing, man? You know? And he said, dude, take the mark. I said, no, I can't take the mark. And then, ah, he let go. And my head got chopped off. And the last thing I saw was downtown Honolulu. You know, it went black and I woke up, you know, sweating and everything. And so the next day I went to church and, you know, I was kind of, people saw me, I was kind of frazzled and everything. And a friend comes up to me and goes, well, what happened? I was just a brand new Christian at the time, you know. I didn't know rapture or anything, all this stuff. And I said, hey, I, I had a dream last night after that movie, you know. I dreamed that I was at Punchbowl and my head got chopped off. And the guy goes, brother, you've received a vision from the Lord of how you are going to die. Praise the Lord. I said, what? What do you mean, praise the Lord? He goes, dude. The rapture comes after the tribulation. You know, we all go through the tribulation and then, you know, so a lot of us are going to get killed and God just showed you how you are going to die. Praise God. You're going to die in the tribulation at Punchbowl with your head chopped off. You know, that's a gift from God. And I said, what? Oh, man. And so I walked around the next couple weeks all depressed. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to die. My head going to get chopped off Punchbowl. And I saw the guy who was holding a rope and I avoided him. You know, I was like, I ain't going near you. Stuff. So anyway... 
But then I talked to another friend. He saw me moping around. He said, what? What's the problem? I said, I had this dream. This guy told me it was from God. I'm going to die in the tribulation. My head's going to get chopped off at punch bowl. And, you know, this guy's going to do it. And he told me this dream is from God. And he, my friend kind of laughed. And he said, he said, Pat, I think the movie just freaked you out. He said, the rapture occurs before the tribulation. You're not going to be around for the tribulation. So don't sweat it. And I was like, really? Wow. All right. You know? And so I was walking, I was, I was cheerful, and then talked to another guy, and he said, well, Pat, you know, the rapture occurs in the middle of the tribulation, so you might get your head chopped off, so maybe that was of God. And so I was talking, I was, I was like, well, which one is it? And he goes, well, why don't we study the Bible and figure out when the rapture is? So I said, all right. So that's what, you know, motivated me at a young age to study this doctrine of when does the rapture occur now? Good Bible-believing Christians throughout the ages have held the various views of the rapture. In fact, early on in church history, the post-trib position was the most popular. I believe that when you study the evidence, you can build the strongest case for the pre-tribulation rapture. Okay? I believe the strongest case is for the pre-trib rapture position. This concludes part one of Pat's study on the rapture question. I hope you were challenged and encouraged by this message. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this study and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat presents part two of this message on the rapture question. Join us right here for Evidence and Answers.